Amen. Amen. Welcome, 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 welcome. If this is your first time here, first of all, we are thankful that you're here. Secondly, we pray that we're a blessing to you today, that the worship has already been a blessing to you, but also uh, things are a little bit different around here. We call ourselves that church because we're not like church as usual. So we're at the end, sort of, of a series that I have been preaching for the entire year. And this morning is going to be, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this morning and next week are going to be very personal. And I've been, I've saturated these services in prayer. I've, I've asked God to, to unhinder people and unburden people in very unique and powerful ways. And there's a reason for that. If I could have my uh, scripture, uh, we're going to start quoting this. I, I hope just about every Sunday morning. This is the scripture that our church is operating on this year. It's Job 42 and 2. And I want us to read it together. Ready? Read. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. So, so for the past several weeks, we have been trying to get ourselves unhindered. God's word can't be hindered. So if your prayer life, if your, uh, if your life in general is hindered, it's not God's fault. Amen. So as, as many of you know, we have been working our way through uh, progressively trying to become less and less hindered. And I told you a few weeks ago that these were going to be some of the most important sermons the Spirit spoke to me and told me. That was going to be some of the most important sermons that some of you have ever heard. These final two are bound to be very personal, very intimate, something that God has orchestrated for this season in your life. So we're going to do something uh, that is very unique. Uh, we're, we're going to pray for ourselves. Before I begin this morning, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to get in touch with your spirit and the spirit of God. And I want you to just begin in your own words and in your own way. Ask God. You don't have to do anything deep or theological. And you don't have to use King James English. I just want you to ask God to open your heart, open your mind, and let you be receptive this morning. And by the end of this service, for you to be changed. Can you do that? Will you just begin to pray over yourself? Father, we love you and we're thankful for your word. We come here today because we seek to be different. We want to be unhindered. However it looks, whatever it looks like, and whatever it takes for us this morning to be changed, we pray, God, that you will do it in our hearing today, that this word will be unhindered so that our lives can be unhindered. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I don't, I don't want you to get too starchy. Uh, before I begin, let me just do one piece of housekeeping. Um, we are, in case you haven't noticed it, if you haven't looked around the room, we are growing. And we're getting more and more and more and more people. And it is a wonderful thing, but every problem is a problem. Even good problems are problems. And one of the big problems that we have here is parking. So we are trying to do our very best. We have people outside that are helping you part. What we're asking of you is, is to be patient and to operate with a spirit of cooperation, okay? Both when you come 
and when you leave. We're going to try to be as accommodating as possible. But again, when you start putting this many people uh, into an area as small as the one we're operating with, it, there are some difficulties. So please be patient, and the Lord will bless you. Somebody say amen. So this morning we're going to look at uh, exploring more of the flesh wounds that is separating us from walking in the fullness that God has for us. Now, uh, we talked last week about hereditary bruises. This week we're going to talk about burdened. I could, I could say uh, both held and burdened. We're going to talk this morning about being held against your will and being burdened. When you study things like behavioral sciences, there is one question that is presented all the time. And that question is, are your behaviors because of something called nature or nurture? And what they mean is this, do you act the way you do because you were pre-wired to act that way before you were ever born? Or was the environment that you were born into and exposed to, did it change you into the person you are and the behaviors that you have? Now last week we talked about hereditary bruises. And if you weren't here, I'm going to give you a brief recap. What that meant was there are some things that was passed down to you through the blood. You didn't just get your mama's brown eyes and your daddy's small nose. You got some other stuff spiritually passed down to you. Hereditary bruises. And you were exposed to some things after you were born. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what we're dealing with, if we're looking at nature versus nurture, we're going to talk hereditary bruising and generational curses are what they call nature. You didn't do anything to invite it into your life. Somebody else gave it to you. Say, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Generational curses are things that are passed through the bloodline. Just like your brown eyes was passed to you, just like your blonde hair was passed to you, some of you are skinny because mama was skinny. Some of you are chubby because, never mind, y'all not chubby. Y'all are just exactly the way the Lord made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the house of the Lord. So those things can be passed to you, but those things aren't the only things you got from your parents. We talked about Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is the blessings and the cursing chapter. Remember that? And here's what we found out in Deuteronomy 28. In you, if you live in obedience to God's word, blessings are coming your way. It's a guarantee. As a matter of fact, it's built into God's system. God said, if you do this, then I will do that. God is beholden to his word. So he said, if you obey me, built into the system of obedience is your blessing. However, he said, if you disobey me, built into that same system are curses. And those curses, just like the, the blessings, will overtake you. They'll chase you down, they'll run clean over top of you, and they will attach themselves to your life. So you can live a great life full of fulfillment and joy and peace and harmony, or life can spank you every day. And it all depends on whether you're living in the blessing or the cursing of God. But regardless of whether you're blessed or you're cursed, it's not God's problem. If you live under a curse, God's not getting you. He's not sitting in heaven with a fistful of lightning ready to smite you. That's not, as a matter of fact, God gave you the choice. And he allows you to decide whether you live a blessed life 
or a cursed life. Let, let me show you what I mean. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 2 says this. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse. Do you see that? A curse that is not deserved will not land on its intended victim. Now, that, this teaches you two very important things. Number one, curses are real. That it, it's, very, it's very evident here that curses are real. And number two, they will not be present in a person's life unless somebody or something gave them permission to be there. These are legalities. Do you see the wording here? It says, an undeserved curse. You're not cursed because of the house you were born into. Now, now it was passed down to you, but you have to decide to allow it to operate in your life. So an undeserved curse will not land on its, look at that other word, intended victim. In other words, these things are not arbitrary. They're not just sitting around going, mm, who are we going to mess with this Sunday? Or I, I think I'll just target the Innsminger's house. No, th these things are directed. You are a victim of your enemy. I don't know if you have heard this lately or not, but the devil hates your guts. He's not a fan of yours. He won't like your picture on Instagram. He, he's, not, he's not your cheerleader. He's not your friend, your buddy, or your pal. He despises you. And he is out to get you. And however he can get your life cursed, because he can't steal your salvation. He can't do a thing about where you're going to go when your soul departs this planet. When, 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 when you have given up the last breath here, he can't do a thing about keeping you out of heaven. So he's trying to make your life as miserable as possible down here. And make you as ineffective for the kingdom as possible. So he directs and targets curses your way. Amen. They are directed. In Numbers chapter 22, I'm going to give you another example. There is a king of Moab, and his name is Balak. He looks out over the landscape, and he sees these people, this new country. They're called Israel. And the Israelites are growing, and they're powerful, and they're winning every war because God has favor on them. They're living the blessed life. And when Balak sees them, he says, hey, they're going to surely come over here and take advantage of us. We need advantage over them. And he hires a sorcerer named Balaam. And he, he hires Balaam to do what? Put a curse on Israel. Look at Numbers 22 and verse 6. He says, please come and curse these people for me. Because they are too powerful. Pay attention. Oh, my God. I, I want to run right here. They are, I am their enemy, and they are too powerful for me. You ought to hear the voice of the devil saying that about you. I need to get a curse put on them because they are too powerful for me. Them, them people over at Promise of Victory are too powerful for me. I've got to target them. I need to get a curse directed at them because they are too powerful for me. But look what he says. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on the people you curse. Listen to what he says. If you curse them, I can whoop them. So what I want to get into your spirit this morning is a curse will make you weak enough for the enemy to defeat you. This is, the, this is the reason, this is the purpose behind curses. 
that curses make you weak enough so the enemy can defeat you. So we're trying to live unhindered. But curses are restraints. They're handcuffs. I told you a few weeks ago, it's a spiritual bungee cord holding you back. It's holding you hostage. It's keeping God's blessings from you. And most of you don't even know you're operating under a curse because some of you didn't get it from anything you got. It was passed down to you from somebody you may not even know. I'm going to go a little bit deeper. Can I go a little deeper? These curses are passed down to us. They're not random events, but they were choices someone else made. And they're causing you problems in the present day. Here's what Deuteronomy 28 tells us. The vast majority of what we have in life is because of the choices we have made. We blame the devil, but the fact is we make choices. And if you keep reading, here's what Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 and 20 says. Today, somebody say right now. I have given you the choice. You have a choice. And look at the two choices between and, uh-huh, choose life, dummy. It shouldn't be that hard. It's multiple choice, only two choices, and why would you pick one? Everybody in here ought to get 100 on this quiz. Choose life between blesses and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. He's even given you the answer. He would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I have told you what is operating in your life. But you have to choose which one you want. Hey, God is saying this thing is not my fault. I have told you over and over and over what is operating. If you, then I'll. If you obey, then I'll bless. If you disobey, then cursings will come over you and run over top of you. I've told you, he said, blessings will chase you. But I've also told you that curses can chase you. But here's what God said. I've told you, I've warned you, I've instructed you, I've commanded you. The one thing I won't do for you is choose. You have to choose. So then we talked about last week something that you think is the same thing. Sins, transgressions, and iniquities. If you weren't here, let me catch you up on it. Iniquity and sin are not the same thing. Sin is the thing that we all do. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is simply missing the mark. That's what the definition of sin is. That means that God has a standard and we've all missed it. We try to reach it. We try to hit the target. But we miss it. That's why we all need Jesus. Not just you, not just the drunk, not just the drug addict, not just people in sexual perversion. We all need Jesus because we've all missed the mark. Somebody say amen. One of our core beliefs here at Promise of Victory is that nobody's perfect. 
We're a church where nobody is perfect. That's why we all need Jesus. We all need grace because we are all constantly missing the mark. Some of you missed it three or four times before you had your first cup of coffee this morning. Some of you didn't even get out of bed before you missed the mark. That's why you need grace. But iniquity is not sin. Iniquity is something different. And I'm going to talk the rest of the time I have with you both this week and next about iniquity. Iniquity is something inside of us that creates propensities and creates longings that we fight against but we don't understand. It's what drives you to sin. Are you following me? The reason you sin is because of iniquity that you don't know. There are things inside of you that are pushing you toward actions. You see the action. What you don't see is why you did it. That's what I'm going to help you with the next two weeks, okay? So you end up in certain places and don't know why. You say certain things and you don't know why. You get in certain relationships and don't know why. You follow certain desires and you have no clue as to why you do it. Has anybody ever said to themselves, why did I do that? It's just me and three other people. Has anybody ever said, why am I always depressed even though I have a good life? Like, like I ain't lost none of my kids. I, I, I have, even my mom and dad are still alive. I got a good life. I got a good job. I got a good house. I, God has took good care of me, and I wake up depressed. And I'm not talking to you people who have chemical problems. Listen, I'm not talking to you who have, there are people with biological and chemical issues. I'm not addressing that. I'm talking about people who don't have a diagnosed reason to be depressed. And you're just sad. Just sad on the inside. How, how many people have ever looked over the course of your family and said, my grandpa was a drunk? My daddy was a drunk. I've been a drunk. My ki- and, and said, why am I like this? Why does every marriage in our family end up in divorce? My grandparents was divorced. My parents were divorced. I've been divorced. My kids can't get married or won't stay in a relationship. Does anybody ever look at their family and say, why does this thing seem to run? Hey, as a matter of fact, have you ever heard that phrase or is that just something from the south where I'm from? That just runs in the family. In the South, that's what we used to talk about. And it was never anything great. Like, like great big bank accounts runs in their family. That was never what we were talking about. It was always trouble. Trouble runs in their family. Divorce runs in their family. Leukemia runs in their family. It was always something that was negative. It, it, was never, it, it, it was never good looks just running their family. <laughs> so, so why am I like that? Why, why are we always fighting? My kids are always fighting. I've always fought with my siblings. Haven't saw my parents in years because we can't get along. Sickness is always in my... Why does this stuff always happen to me? Hey, don't raise your hands. But how many of you ever gotten out of a relationship and then saw a picture a few months later? And been like, what was I thinking? Now, now some of y'all, some of y'all shouldn't be asking what was I thinking. Y'all should be thinking, y'all should be saying, what was I drinking? And was I drinking it the whole time that I was? (laughs) 
And then you get out of that relationship only to get into another one that says, I don't want anybody like that ever in my life again. And the next one you get is a mirror image of the one you said you didn't want nothing to do with no more. And it looks like these things would be easy to break, right? It looks like because you can identify the problem. And you say, this is a cycle. This is a trend. This is something I do. And it would be easy to break. But it's not. Because it's not an action. It's inside you. So whenever you see the same scenery over and over and over in your life, that's called a cycle. It's a different man, but you're having the same arguments. Hello? Different generation, same alcoholism. Different girlfriend, same results. The calendar keeps turning. The hair gets a little grayer. Wrinkles are all over their face. They're a year older, but you're still seeing the same old stuff. Somebody say amen if you're with me. This is exactly what Paul meant when he said, the things that I struggle with is the stuff I do. The stuff I hate are the things I do. And the things that I want to do, I know I should do. The things I know that please the Lord... Those things I don't do. And I'm not struggling with demons. Hello? I'm struggling with me. I'm struggling with flesh, Bob. This is flesh, Bob, if you haven't been in service with us. And this is my struggle. He has a promise of victory hat on. It's down over his eyes because he don't want to see you people. He did some stuff last night he's not proud of, so he's hiding himself. But, see, you know he's a Christian because he's got a promise of victory beanie on his head. Because that, that's, that's the evidence that we need to prove to everybody around us that we have been changed. But he is still very much flesh. So sin is entry-level problems, and we all do it. Iniquity is inside of us. And iniquity means bent or twisted. You won't catch it if I do it to him. Iniquity means bent or twisted. And it's inside of me. Something inside of me, something inside of you is bent. Now, pay attention to bent and twisted. Do you know what happens to houseplants when you put them near a window? They, they bend toward the light. If you leave them and don't rearrange their pot any at all, they will eventually bend toward the light because something inside of them is driving them toward and you have some things in you called iniquities that are toward things that you don't understand why you crave it why you long for it why you hunger and thirst for it it's inside of you and it's bending and it's twisting and you you only see the sinful things that you end up doing but you don't deal with the iniquity that caused you to do it in the first place and the danger is this Last week we learned that God said iniquity can visit three and four generations from you. So if you don't deal with it, if you don't put a stop to it, kids you never meet will 
be fighting your devil because of what you have inside of you. So a baby is born. I've been in, the, I've been in that room three times with all three of my kids. And, uh, listen, I've, I love my children. I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I love them. I have beautiful kids. I have wonderful kids. But when they are born, everybody says, they're beautiful. They look like an alien. <laughs> Heads all pointed. Red face and splotches all over them and goo running off of them. And everybody says, they're so beautiful. They ain't done it. They need a bath. And some time to decompress. Then they're beautiful. And some of them, it takes a while. They end up beautiful, but they got to grow into beauty. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So, 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 so everybody, everybody talks about how they're beautiful. But they, they take that newborn baby, and they lay it on a table, and it starts squealing and squalling. And that baby has never been on the Internet. It's never read a book. Never had a friend. It's never been exposed to anything except that table. And already inside of that baby. Already. That baby has had no influence from you, your family, or anybody else. And there's already something inside of it bending them towards certain things. There's already something on the inside of that baby. Because we are born into a world, the Bible says, of Iniquity. We're born into a world of iniquity. So from birth, there's something in you that's driving you, compelling you. There are things, I told you, we're going to get real serious. We're going to get real personal. There are things that you know you have compulsions toward. And you're ashamed of them. Those are the things I'm after today. Because you, you will put on public display your sins. You post them on your Facebook. Then you delete the photo and hope pastor didn't see it. But the iniquity are the things that you're embarrassed of. If you even know what they are at all. If you ever do come to the knowledge that that thing is inside of you. It's driving you, compelling you, turning you, twisting you. You hide it. You hope nobody ever finds out, I feel this way. Did you notice the silence when I got to that point? That means you're not alone. That means that hit a lot of people in here, and I ain't even got started yet. So one of the most confusing things about iniquities is they're not constant. They're cyclical, which means you think you overcome them. You think you came up to the altar, you prayed, you cried, they anointed you with oil, and you think it's over. And six weeks later, that same thing comes, comes back around again. Listen, listen. You get it under your feet. You think you've beat it. You got clean for six weeks. Think that you are clean for good. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden you get anxious. You get to a place where you lose your job or something bad happens. And you run right back to the thing you said you were done with. You break up with that bum you, you say, that's it, I'm done. I don't want no more scrubs in my life. 
I am free, free, free. And after three weeks on a Friday night, you get that voicemail. Hey, baby. And you start feeling things you didn't feel three weeks ago. Y'all not going to help me. It comes right back around. It's got a different hairstyle, different color. Some of you don't even know what color your hair is supposed to be. You and Jesus. Don't know what's under all that clear all. <laughs> so, I, I got look. Here's what the Bible teaches us about cyclical things. It says seeds create after their own kind. So I have to be careful what I let get inside of me. Hello? Because I'll plant an apple seed and eat apples the rest of my life. So you have to be careful what you let get planted inside of you because some of you are still eating stuff that was planted carelessly years ago. You planted seeds or you let somebody else plant seeds in you years ago out of carelessness. And you're still eating the harvest. That's good preaching, preacher. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 14 and verse 30. He said, hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh. Who is that, the prince of the world? Say the devil. That wasn't a trick question I was really asking. It's the devil. The prince of this world cometh. And has nothing in me. Here's what Jesus said that you can't say. The devil comes around and inspects you. Because he wants to find what you got in there. And Jesus said, he's come and inspected me and found nothing in me. You can't say that. That's why you have to be on guard. Jesus was tempted of the devil, and the devil tried everything in the world to find an iniquity in there somewhere. He asked him questions. He tempted him. He put him on trial. He beat him at the scourging post. He even had him crucified and hung on a cross until he died. And all that time, Jesus never let the devil get anywhere in there. Because as the devil was inspecting him, as the devil was taking a look at him, saying, where can I get in? Is it the lust of the flesh? Is it the lust of the eyes? Is it the pride of life? I got it. And everywhere he looked, he could not find a way to get in to Jesus. Jesus said, the devil inspected me and couldn't find anything in me. I'm telling you that you've got something in you that is attractive to the devil. And when he comes and inspects you, he doesn't have to cause you to sin. He just has to point out what you already want. He knows what it is that you're attracted to. And he doesn't cause you to sin. Flip Wilson got it wrong. The devil didn't make you do it. All he did was remind you of what you're already lusting after. Because he found something in you. Sins and transgressions show up on the 6 o'clock news. That's what you see. Sins and transgressions are what got you in trouble. You wrecked the car because you were drunk. Being drunk was the sin. But that's the 19th time this month. So why do you keep drinking? What is it compelling? What is twisted inside of you that is compelling you to act? Sin is action. The iniquity is the reason. And that's what we're dealing with. You're struggling with things on an internal level. But what shows up on the 6 o'clock news is the outcome. So this week, that was all last week's refreshment. 
32 minutes. This week, if that's nature, things that you can't control, what's the nurture? What's our environment? We're going to talk about some things that happens in your life when you get exposed to the wrong things. This week and next, are you hearing me? Are you still with me? This week and next, we're going to, we're going to find out in living color why iniquity is so hard to get rid of. Not impossible. We're going to find that out. It's possible, but it's not as easy as you just saying, just quit. Just don't do that anymore. It's easy for you to say when it's not inside of you. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot here, but every one of you have been judgmental about somebody else's problems. At some point, every person in this room has looked at somebody else's issues and says, I don't know why you just don't stop. Well, the reason they don't stop is because there's something on the inside of them that is bent or twisted. And they haven't yet dealt with that thing. And you don't have the same thing on the inside of you. So you don't understand why it's so difficult for them to just lay it down. But can I help you? There is something bent and twisted on the inside of you. And they could very easily look at you and say, why don't you quit doing that thing? Because, yeah, while you may not be twisted toward the same thing I am, you twisted. Won't you just look at your neighbor? Just get this out in the open. Just look at your neighbor and say, you're twisted. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's just get it all out in the open. And your twist is different than mine. Your bend is different than mine. You're attracted to something I'm not attracted to. But, make no mistake about it, there's something twisted. Uh-huh. So, so, so I'm going to date myself a little bit right here. Uh, let me see that picture. 1993, there was a movie came out. I was a freshman in college, and it's called Groundhog Day. And uh, for those of you that don't know, because I can see the millennials looking at each other. For those of you that don't know, this is a movie starring Bill Murray. And it was about a man whose life was... Let, let's just say less than admirable and he needed to be changed and so he ended up in a cycle that every day that he woke up was the same day his life never progressed if you've ever seen this movie nothing moved forward every morning when he woke up the same song was on the radio the same announcements got played he met the same people he encountered the same problems. Even the same mud puddle was in the same spot in the street every day because life did not move forward because of the cycle he was in. It's a good story. It's not really biblical. But I've met a whole lot of Christians that have Groundhog Day marriages. They had a problem when the kids were little, and now the kids are grown and gone. But the cycle is still going on, and their life has not moved forward. Uh-huh. Groundhog Day finances. Those are interesting to see. People get six different jobs. They've got six different promotions, six different raises, and they never have enough money. They're stuck in a cycle, and it doesn't matter how much or how little they have, they're always broke. Groundhog Day finances. I've also seen Groundhog Day relationships. You just keep attracting the same old groundhogs. 
You got rid of a loser, said you were done with losers. I don't want no scrubs. Only to go back out and find one quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because they reinforce your weaknesses. See, see, here's the thing about iniquities that I've been keeping from you. You don't know you got them. But the enemy does. Your, in, your iniquities become a target for your enemy to sin. And he always sends people. What did I tell you two weeks ago? When God wants to bless me, he sends the right person. When the devil wants to curse me, he sends the right person. And some of y'all have a magnet on the inside of you called the iniquity. And the devil know it's, knows it's there. So he keeps sending the same groundhog. <laughs> and until you get rid of that iniquity you've got in the inside of you, you're going to keep having this same reoccurring problem over and over and over. And, and, and let's just be vulnerable for a minute. I'll be the first one with my hand up. How many of you have had situations in your life that you were a groundhog day? Just, yeah, you realized it too late, right? After many mistakes was made, more money than you wanted to spend, went farther than it should have, yeah. And you end up feeling like the dummy. How did I let that happen to me again? Mm -hmm. So let me help you. First Samuel, or Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Bless you. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth. Stop right there, because some of y'all get lost in these big old names. Saul is the king of Israel. His son Jonathan was David's best friend and would have been the next king, okay? Saul, son Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old. Pay attention to that. He was how old? He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried, she dropped him. As she hurried, she dropped him. She picked him up and fled. And as she hurried... In her carelessness, she dropped him. And he became a cripple. He became lame because she dropped him. She got careless and dropped him. The kingdom of Israel was in a mess. Saul just got killed. He's the king. Jonathan got killed. He should be king. And, and in those days when the enemy would kill the king, the next thing they would start hunting for was the king's kids. Because they wanted to make sure nobody had the next lineage to the throne. So when this, this nurse heard that the, Jonathan and Saul were dead, she said, I've got to get this baby out of here. And she picked up the five-year-old toddler and she commenced to run and she dropped him and he became crippled. Are you with me? One of the most difficult things to manage in your life is knowing that you were dropped by somebody who was supposed to protect you. I told you I was going to get personal. Is this okay? I, is, listen, this is going to be heavy. I'm, I'm not apologizing. I'm just telling you up front. This is going to be heavy from this point going forward. I'm not going to be too 
comedic, okay? We got that out of the way already. One of the hardest things for you to deal with in life and the reason the iniquities stay so deeply buried inside of you is because you don't want to admit that the people that were supposed to carry you carelessly dropped you. Family secrets. We can't tell anybody dad's like this. We can't tell anybody that mom did that. we got to cover everything up. You're covering up iniquity. God says three and four generations later, your great-great-grandkids are going to deal with it because you keep covering it up. You don't want nobody to know that we've got this thing going, running wild through our family. Somebody's going to know. It may not be your generation, but you're making the next generation suffer because you're too prideful to admit somebody hurt me. I told you it's going to be deep. He is going to live the rest of his life as a cripple, not because of anything he did, but because of what somebody else did to him. He's going to live the rest of his life lame because of something somebody else did. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27 introduces us to the rest of my sermon. Isaiah says it should come to pass in that day that this burden, somebody say burden, burden will be taken away from off your shoulder. Uh Uh-huh. So he's got some big strong shoulders here, old flesh bob. He can hold some weight on these shoulders. We're just going to hold all of our family secrets right here on these shoulders. I don't want nobody to think bad of dad. So I'll just put all the burden. I just did more preaching in 20 seconds than some of y'all have heard in 30 years. I'll just put all the burden right here on my shoulders because I don't want somebody to think bad of my children. I don't want somebody to think bad of our family. I don't want somebody to think bad of my business model. I don't want somebody to think bad of, of, of me. So I just I put the burden on my shoulders. And some of you have put the burden on your own children because you say, don't you repeat this outside of this house. Hello? So now, not only are you burdening yourself, you're burdening your children. Because now, they don't know who they can talk to to get rid of this burden because you've dared. And then it says, burden to be taken off your shoulder. When? In that day. In that day, this burden should be taken off your shoulder and this yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but there's a lot of churches that won't even mention the anointing because they don't want to mess with the anointing because the anointing is messy. In the Old Testament, it was messy because when they poured the oil over Aaron and his, and his priests, it would run all the way down and drip off their beards. And I've done that in services, and it stains the carpet, and it's messy. But everything in the Old Testament was physical and outward. And everything in the New Testament is spiritual and inward. So when Isaiah said it's the anointing oil, in the Old Testament it was actually physically oil. But in the New Testament it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit that courses through our spiritual veins. And it changes us from the inside out. It it gets in. Oh my God, I I just told you 
What happened? What you you have the answer to your inside iniquities. You are bent and twisted because there's stuff on the inside of you. You can't counsel this. You can't medicate this. No 12-step program will help you deal with this because it's inside. But there is something that can get in there. There is something that can get in there. There is something that can go on a search and destroy mission. The burden will be taken off their shoulders and the yoke from around their neck. So this holy anointing has the ability to get inside and Take the burden away. Now listen, I've been doing this for 25 years. I know how to do this. I know how to preach a sermon. I get up here and tell some jokes. Tell you never get into a canoe with Glenn because he'll flip you. See, that's the response I'd get. I, I, can, I, can, I can stand up here and give you some context about Paul's missionary journeys. I can tell you the theological and fundamental differences between the primitive Baptists and the fundamental Baptists. I can preach a sermon as short or as long as you want me to. But none of that will cure you from being addicted to pornography. Listen, I can bring you into this church house and we can jump up and down. And we can fall out on the floor. But none of that will cause you to let go of the bitterness you hold towards your spouse. None of that will bring the anointing that lifts the burden and destroys the yoke. You need the anointing to do that. And that's why before I get into this pulpit, I cry out to God, God, I've got to have you to bring me into that pulpit. I have to have you show up in my life. This is just a speech I'm doing if you don't show up. This is just a get-together if you don't meet with us. This is just a ceremony if we don't encounter your anointing in this place. And see, 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 you have to do the same thing. You've got to get to the point where you say, God, I can't raise these kids without you. I can't graduate this semester without you. I can't run this business without you. I will lose my mind if I don't get the anointing over my life. That's what you've got to be able to recognize. And I constantly battle with how to deliver this word because I used to be a spitter and a runner and a dancer and a jumper and a shouter. And now... Got people that I would terrify if I did that, and they wouldn't receive the word. But I also wrestle with you misrepresenting what I'm saying because I don't want you to ever think that the bar is this low to receive the anointing that I'm talking about. And so you get up every morning and you spend 10 minutes in prayer while you're driving down the road, shaving, texting. And read the newspaper all at the same time. And you think that that's going to bring the anointing into your life. I don't ever want you to cheapen what it takes to get this out of you. So, I, yes, I want, your, I want you to feel like God is approachable, but I don't ever want you to take him for granted. So I constantly wrestle with how I'm supposed to get this word to you because he wants more from you than a morning high five and a fist bump. Because that's not going to get the anointing that's going to break the yoke. And lift the burden. Deep relationships are not developed without an investment of time. 
Your marriage needs an investment, an intentional investment of time. Intentionally putting the two of you together if your marriage is going to survive. And your relationship with God needs an intentional investment of your time. And if God's not important enough for you to meet with every day, what makes you think he'd be willing to give you the kind of anointing it would take to break this stuff off your life? But you also have to recognize the anointing's not just for people with microphones on stages. You also have the anointing. If you are saved, there's something kicking around on the inside of you, and you need to recognize that because I don't have to come to your house and touch the fevered brow of your baby when it's got a 103-degree temperature. You know why? Because the anointing that is in me is the same anointing that was in Christ, and it's the same anointing that's in you. You don't have to get somebody to come to church to get them healed. The same spirit that that anointed Jesus to get up out of the tomb lives inside of you. That yoke-destroying anointing is inside of you, believer. So you don't have to get somebody to a certain spot because everybody in this room is anointed. If you're a believer, you're anointed. And Isaiah is saying in that day when people have the Holy Spirit anointing living inside of them, And they become full of the Holy Spirit. You'll have the anointing to lift the burden and destroy the yoke. Uh What is a yoke? Why Why are these iniquities so hard to get rid of? What is a yoke? Yoke was something that was put around the neck of a young ox. Are you are you okay? Okay. Can I, can I go a little deeper? So most Israelite men are about five foot eight, 165, 170 pounds. They are no match for a full-grown ox. You can't counsel an ox into pulling something for you. When you need a garden turned up, it's a lot of hard work. Either you need a, a piece of equipment with blue diesel smoke coming out of the smokestacks, or be like my grandpa and the ones that went before him. you got to have a mule or... An ox. But they don't want to just get out there and work for you. So you'll give them some feed. You train them. And you train them when they're young. Are you with me? When they are young, you put a yoke around their neck. Because you want them to understand nothing Except a yoked life. Truthfully, when that ox is full grown, he could destroy the person holding the reins. He could trample them to death. He could run off into the wilderness and nobody could stop him. But he doesn't know that because when he was young, they put a yoke on his neck. And he has been trained his whole life to live with this burden 
on him that he does not have the understanding to realize I don't have to keep this on me. I don't have to live this way. But he thinks he does because when he was young, they yoked him. Now, I want you to stick with me because you can be controlled by this yoke even though you have the power to overcome the person controlling it. Why do you think that there is an assail right now of perversion on our youth? Oh, it got quiet. I've never seen an attack on a generation like our kids are being attacked right now. Whole grown adults are teaching little children to be confused about who they are. One thing about me, you'll find out real quick. I'm going to preach it straight. We don't skip pages in that book. If it's in there, we preach it. Do you want to know why? I'll give you some insight into what's going on in the world today. Do you want to know why adults are telling kids to, be, uh, to, to figure out what they are and what they want to be? Because anytime the devil wants to sabotage a whole life, he begins by stealing the identity of the person. Because if you don't know who you are, you won't know what you're supposed to become. So, 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 uh, see, we got a whole generation growing up that don't know who they're supposed to be, and people are telling them, choose what you want to be. And this, by the way, this is not a new concept. A snake showed up in the garden and was talking to Eve, and you know what the first thing he asked her was? He said, hey, you can be like God. God said that you're less than him, but that's because he knows if you eat from this tree. You don't really know who you are. You'll find out when you eat from this tree of knowledge, you'll know what God knows. You know people in the Bible called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their names. The enemy changed their names because he wanted to change their identity. When he brought them into captivity... When he brought them into Babylonian captivity, he put a new name on them so they would never find out who they really were. Because if you don't know who you are, he can control. So the devil shows up in the garden and he says to Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, and you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, I ain't got to prove a thing to you, devil. See, because he found nothing in Jesus. He came to Jesus and tried to tempt him, but he found nothing in him. Jesus was the only one that didn't fall for the devil's tactics. But the devil's always trying to steal the identity. And this is going to be a little tough to hear. Are you you okay? I know it's been 55 minutes. You all right? The rest of the sermon is going to be a little tough to hear because at seven years old, somebody comes into your room and does unspeakable things to you in the dark. An uncle, an older brother, a stepfather, a stepmother, while everybody else is sleeping, they're doing things to you when you are five and six and seven years old that put a yoke on you 
Because the devil knows if he can get you when you're young, he can control you. And now, 40 years later, this same person is sitting in a therapist's office with tears rolling down their face after a life that they have thrown in the garbage and had broken relationship after broken relationship and probably drug abuse and alcohol abuse and they don't know why they keep acting out the way they're acting out and they don't realize it's because when they were little somebody came along that was supposed to protect them that was supposed to keep them safe and drop them and when they 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 mishandled you and they ended up putting a yoke around your neck and this burden has been on your shoulders and your whole life you have acted out of iniquity that you don't even know why you do what you do and it's because you're wearing this yoke of what happened to you when you were little it happened to me you're not alone I grew up in a house with Sexual perversion running rampant. And I was molested at a very young age. And I have fought a lust devil my whole life. Something else. Something else was a yoke on me. I grew up in poverty. Scarcity. But you can be poor and not adopt a poverty mindset. I had a poverty attitude. So it took me years to realize I have a good father now. My father loves to give lavishly to his children. He don't expect me to walk to and from church every Sunday and eat fried rabbit tracks three times a day. He loves to see me blessed. He loves to see me have something that I can brag on my father about. But it took me years for the anointing to break the yoke that was on me. Because I didn't realize why it was I thought I had to live in such abject poverty. And I felt embarrassed when somebody would bless me. And I didn't know how to handle it because I had this yoke around my neck that I felt like I can't get free from this because this is I'm supposed to be poor because I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to be poor because I'm a Mitchum. Or I'm supposed to be poor because this is just what we have always been. But that devil is a lie. And you have to understand that what you have been wearing, you don't have to keep. Maybe you lived in a family that spent years and years and years of everybody trying to get off drugs. Your whole family's been lost to drugs. Do you realize that that often happens early? Most of the time somebody's at, uh, somebody is introduced to alcohol or drugs around 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Because the devil knows if he can get this thing around your neck, he can control you after you become mature. I took my first drink at 8. I had my first sexual encounter at 11 after I'd been molested when I was 5. I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this because I stand before you a free man. I stand before you telling you that if he took this yoke of bondage off of me, he can do it to you. And the burden that you carry, you don't have to carry it out of this room. This can be the day that you finally get free from the mess that you don't know that you're carrying around with you. Because what he says is this, it destroys the yoke and removes the burden. Can I help you with this? 
Every yoke has a burden attached to it. You're under the yoke and your kids are burdened with it. You're a drug addict and your children are the ones burdened with carrying the weight. You're promiscuous, bringing home every Tom, Dick, and Harry, having them call him uncle till you decide whether or not he's going to stick around for a while and your kids are the ones getting yokes, my God in heaven. And you're burdening them with your poor decisions. And here... You want to know what the burdens are? If you live a promiscuous or a sexually deviant lifestyle, there's these things called soul ties. And you think you're just having a one-night stand. There's no such thing because this thing gets wrapped around you. And it ties you to that other person. And even though you delete their number out of your phone, you've still got part of them and they've still got part of you. One of the hardest things about marrying people in this generation is I don't ever hardly get to marry two whole people because you've given so much of yourself away before the wedding. My God in heaven. And you don't realize some of y'all, one yoke would be a blessing. You're carrying around so many of these things that you don't know how to operate. But the anointing breaks the yoke and I want to spend the rest of the time I have talking to people that's been dropped I want, I want to spend the rest of the time that I have before I open this altar encouraging the people that were dropped and you have become spiritually lame You've become emotionally lame. You've become numb to your feelings. And you didn't choose to be dropped. Somebody that was supposed to protect you, somebody that was supposed to help you, dropped you. And you sit here this morning, or you're watching online, and your pain is real. Your suffering has been long, and you probably can't even imagine living without this chaos and embarrassment that suffocates you when nobody's watching. But there's healing. I said there's healing. If you keep reading the story of Mephibosheth, and I don't have time to throw the scriptures up, but you can read them in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you keep reading the story of Mephibosheth, the Bible says that David came to his advisors and said, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I could find and bring to the palace to bless them? It was customary for them to find the offspring and kill them. But the king didn't want to kill them. The king was looking for somebody to bless. So he sent to a place called Lodabar and had Mephibosheth brought to the palace. And the Bible says that when Mephibosheth came, he was lame, he was crippled, and he laid in the floor and he begged David and said, Why have you sent for me a dead dog? 
You can change your geographical location, but if there's something broken on the inside of you, you'll still feel like a dead dog. See, here's the problem we have. The king can bring us in and say, I want to bless you, but you'll be, you be non-responsive to the blessing because it doesn't fix what's wrong on the inside, what's bent, what's twisted on the inside of you. And you can be in the palace of the king with him offering his blessings to you and you totally miss it because changing your geography does not change what's broken on the inside of you. That's why you can kick them out, but they'll still live in your head. You can kick them out of your house, but they'll still be alive in your soul. In other words, the king was trying to bless somebody, but Mephibosheth was in a new place, holding on to an old problem. The Bible says that this yoke can be destroyed. But you can get delivered and still be damaged. And that's what some of you have done. You came and you've become whole in the presence of the Lord. But something that happened to you when you were small has kept this thing around your neck. And the king said, I know you're crippled, but I want. I can't change the fact that you are wounded, but I can change your circumstances. I want to bless you. I know you've had a hard life, but I want to bless you. I can't do anything about what happened in the past, but I want to bless you. I, I, can't, I can't help the misery that you have endured up to this point, and I can't fix your lame feet. I've got a blessing that I want to share with you. So spiritually, some of you need to come up to this altar this morning and do what I'm doing in the natural. I can't help that somebody that was supposed to protect you dropped you. Somebody promised to love you and they abandoned you. They cheated on you. They divorced you. I can't help that. But I can, I can tell you there's healing. Some of you got exposed to pornography when you were young. And that yoke has been around your neck. And you have came up to the altar. And you have prayed and prayed. But you have been praying about the sin. And you need to deal with the yoke of iniquity that's on the inside of you. Some of you have perverse inclinations that you are so ashamed of and you hope nobody ever finds out about that thing is strangling you it's holding you back from the blessings that God wants to give to you but you you have to let it go the anointing in this house is strong enough to break this off of your life this does not have to remain another moment. As a matter of fact, if I was you and I knew I needed freedom, I'd have been up here already. I wouldn't be sitting there waiting for the preacher to invite me. I would run to this altar because I know when I've needed freedom, I didn't have to get invited. I run to the altar because there are some things in my life I don't ever want to confess to you, but I'll confess them to him because I can't take this another day.
If you leave this place and you're still carrying one of these, it's your own fault because the anointing is here. I was here this morning praying over this place for the anointing that breaks every yoke and lifts every burden. Get up if you feel the burdens that you won't lift it off your shoulder. I mean, there's been some things in your life that you regret and you are burdened down with shame and remorse and fear. I hope nobody ever finds out about this. Don't worry about what anybody else finds out about. You need to get unburdened, unshackled, unfettered this morning. Child of God, be free. Where the, who the sun sets free. The anointing will break this. Prayer team, don't wait. Don't wait for me to invite you. Come up and start praying with us. Look at all these people up here needing yokes, bro. Come help them. Prayer team, staff, come help. Come help. Don't let them suffer alone. Come, come help. There's an anointing that breaks. <laughs> <laughs> 